Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Word of God for our special study this morning is found in Jeremiah chapter 38, verses 1 to 13. This is printed for you in your bulletin. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, we have a problem with execution. No, I'm not talking about capital punishment or even particularly about persecution, although Jeremiah in our text is facing death at the hands of angry officials. No, the kind of execution that I'm referring to is the kind that you may be familiar with as a, as a catchword in the business world. What is in principle the root of the word executive? This is execution in the sense of carrying out the things that you have been given to do, following through on the things that you have committed to. Jesus zeroed in on this problem in our gospel today. Peter, speaking for the twelve, had just made the wonderful confession of faith, you are the Christ. But then, as soon as he heard Jesus plainly saying that this would mean bad things for the Messiah, even suffering and death, Peter presumed to tell Jesus, no, that's not the way it should be. If you are the Christ, and you are, then the path that you're on is one of victory and success and glory. Be quiet about this other stuff, Jesus. That's not what we want, and it's not what we signed on for. And so Jesus rebuked Peter, and he used the moment to teach all of his disciples, every believer then, since, and now, to teach that following him to salvation means following the path of the cross with him. Turning aside, taking the path you want instead of his path, is a failure in follow-through. And this wasn't the only time Jesus addressed this problem with execution. Numerous times in the Gospels, we find him dealing with the issue of people who are happy to be associated with him while he is feeding the crowds, doing miracles, or sticking it to the religious elite, but who all who balk or, or walk away once he begins talking about sacrifice or self-denial, of, of actually living as members of God's family. Peter learned the lesson that Jesus taught and learned it well, well enough that, that he emphasizes it in his first letter where we find our second lesson today. He teaches and reminds us that, that fiery trials are not going to be the exception in our lives as Christians, but the rule. As those who have our identity in Christ, we share in his sufferings because the same sinful world that rejected and abused Jesus rejects and abuses his disciples. The apostle Paul also, or the apostle Peter rather also makes the point that when judgment comes and it comes for all that the sinner who stands apart from God trusting in himself instead of Jesus, following the path he wants instead of the path laid out for him, well, he will not fare well. It is infinitely better to entrust one's life and soul to the Lord and to face judgment 
as a member of His household of faith. Because that is the only way that we can face judgment unburdened by our sins and guilt. Even one single sin would be sufficient to send you to hell for eternity because every sin is an act of rejection and rebellion against God our Creator who demands perfect holiness. And since not a single one of us has committed just a few trespasses, but instead we are all guilty of mountains of disobediences, there is no way that we can get out from under that burden and escape damnation or or merit eternal life in heaven. We are incapable of cleansing ourselves and, and the stain of sin means that there is nothing that we can offer God in payment that is not itself tainted with corruption, which is why it was necessary for Jesus to endure such pains and be crucified. Only the suffering and death of the one who was both true God and true man could be sufficient to pay the price of all the world's rebellion and appease the Almighty's wrath. And only the resurrection of the God-man would provide eternal life to all who put their trust in Him. There is only one way to have this forgiveness, salvation, and life for yourself. Believe in Jesus as your Savior. Put your trust in the grace of and mercy of God. And this faith, given what it gains us, should naturally lead us to to undying appreciation and gratitude and a, a constant, consistent commitment to doing what pleases the Lord with a willingness to follow wherever He leads, right? But far too often, those who have known the grace of God end up taking it for granted. They like the idea of salvation a lot, but are not too keen on the idea of steadfastness or self-denial. They want to have a place in God's family, but nothing of Christ's identity. They want to have their cake and eat it too. That was the fundamental problem the leaders and people of Judah and Jerusalem had during the ministry of Jeremiah the prophet. They loved the idea that the Lord God of Israel was their deliverer and protector. The history of their people showed that that He had bailed them out of their national troubles time after time after time. But they did not love the idea of keeping their side of the covenant the Lord had made with them at Mount Sinai. They wanted to worship other gods as they saw fit, to ignore the obligations of the law and the requirements of the commandments, and to take advantage of other people in order to get and stay rich. This was the way their kings ruled. And this was the way they lived. And they wanted prophets preaching the gospel of God's love for them without the law of God's judgment on their sins. They had a big problem with execution. You know who did not have a problem with execution? Judah's enemies. When they committed to a course of action, they followed through. 
with bloody determination and no compunctions about violence or injustice. Jeremiah lived at a time of great international agitation. There were three world powers vying for supremacy. Assyria, Egypt, and Babylon. And guess what small nation got stuck in the middle? Yes, Judah. The land God had given his people was geographically located such that when Israel was strong, as it was under David and Solomon, it was able to dominate the entire region. But when it was weak, its people were the ones dominated And foreign armies often passed through Judah and Israel without facing any kind of consequence or or opposition. And this was a time when Judah was weak. Their last good king, Josiah, had foolishly, and without God's blessing, gone out to face Pharaoh and the Egyptian army when they were passing through on their way to fight the Babylonians. Pharaoh considered fighting Judah a delay and a distraction, especially since his army was much stronger. But Josiah insisted on battle and died from an arrow wound. And Judah lost and fell under Egypt's control. The kings who followed Josiah were not good or godly, and nor were they very wise. They rebelled against Pharaoh and ended up trading his dominion for that of the Babylonians, who they thought were going to save them. And then they rebelled against Babylon, thinking Egypt would help, or maybe that God would come through for them. And in the process, they rebelled. they, They opened up Judah again to repeated invasions and sieges from the Babylonians. And that's where we find things at the point where our reading today from Jeremiah picks up. The last king of Judah, Zedekiah, is on the throne. He had been installed by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon the last time Judah rebelled, but somehow Zedekiah had decided rebellion again would be a good idea. And so Nebuchadnezzar had returned again to besiege Jerusalem, to destroy it, and put an end to these troubles once and for all. Jeremiah the prophet was already in prison when this text begins, in Jerusalem. Sometime earlier, the Babylonian siege of Jerusalem had been temporarily broken when Pharaoh's Egyptian army marched from Egypt and Nebuchadnezzar moved to intercept them. And during that lull, Jeremiah had attempted to leave the city of Jerusalem to visit his hometown in the territory of Benjamin. But the captain of the guard saw him leaving and arrested him, accusing him of deserting to the Babylonians. Now, he knew this wasn't the case, but the bureaucracy was out to get Jeremiah because they didn't like the message that he had been preaching during the siege or, for that matter, for the previous decades. Jeremiah had earlier warned that the Lord would abandon them to judgment because Judah had abandoned the Lord. And the prophet had counseled all who wanted to live to surrender to the Babylonians because this time the Lord was not going to come through for his people. But even though the the charge against Jeremiah was nonsense, it stuck and the prophet was imprisoned. 
But that wasn't enough for his enemies. We pick up at the beginning of Jeremiah 38. Shephatiah, son of Mata, Gedaliah, son of Pashur, Jehuchal, son of Shelemiah, and Pashur, son of Malkijah, heard what Jeremiah had told the people when he said, This is what the Lord says. Whoever remains in this city will die by sword, famine, and plague. But whoever goes over to the Chaldeans, that is, the Babylonians, will live. He will escape with his life, and he will live. This is what the Lord says. This city will surely be handed over to the army of the king of Babylon, and he will capture it. Then the officials said to the king, This man should be put to death because he is demoralizing the soldiers who are left in the city. He is demoralizing all the people by saying these things to them. This man is not seeking the welfare of the people. He wants to hurt them. Now, we don't know for sure if Jeremiah's message was actually demoralizing anyone, but it is certainly possible that that the soldiers and the people on hearing it became a little less convinced that that standing and resisting were, were worth what they were going through. But these officials did clearly misrepresent Jeremiah's motivation for his message. And in so doing, they made clear their own motivation. They did not like the prophet, and so they were willing to lie about him in order to finally see him dead. Jeremiah was already locked up, but they wanted to execute. So what did the king say? King Zedekiah answered, Very well. He is in your hands. The the king cannot do anything to stop you. His answer there might remind you of another figure from the Bible. His, you take him and deal with him as you see fit, is very like what Pontius Pilate said to the leaders of the Jews who wanted to crucify Jesus when he didn't want to take responsibility for it himself. So naturally, they followed through. So they took Jeremiah and threw him into the cistern of Malkijah, the king's son, which was in the courtyard of the guard. They let Jeremiah down by ropes. There was no water in the cistern, but only mud, and Jeremiah sank down into the mud. Why didn't they just chop off his head, stab him through and through? Maybe it was because they didn't want the people to hear about it. Maybe they still had some sense that one just doesn't do that to a prophet of the Lord. More likely, they relished the thought of a slow and excruciating death for Jeremiah. Because that's what it would have been. He would slowly starve to death and also dehydrate. The cistern was likely deep enough that it was totally dark where Jeremiah was. So he'd be in the black darkness all day long, except perhaps for that, that one time of the day when the sun would be directly overhead, in which case it probably would have burned and blinded. But likely worst of all, for an old and already malnourished man like the prophet, worst of all would have been the mud. It would have kept him standing up, Unable to relax his legs, unable to to lie down or sit or even stretch. Within hours, his muscles were likely screaming in agony. He was probably wishing, since it was apparently clear that the time for his death would come, wishing that his enemies had chosen a quicker and more final form of execution. And it was all because 
he had faithfully preached the Word of God to God's people. That was not the end. Abed-Melech the Cushite, an official in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah in the cistern. While the king was sitting in the Benjamin gate, Abed-Melech left the palace and said to the king, My lord, the king, everything that these men have done to Jeremiah the prophet is evil. They have thrown him into a cistern where he is likely to die because of the famine, for there is no more bread in the city. Now which do you think took more courage? For Abed-Melech to go to the king and plead for Jeremiah's life, or for him to come right out and call what his enemies had done evil. You and I know all too well how naming sin for what it is does not go over well with the ones who are committing it, or even with the ones who are permitting it. But this foreigner, a non-Jew, had trust in the Lord and respect for his prophet. And so he followed through on his faith, no matter what it might cost him. And now we see again how King Zedekiah vacillated. Then the king gave orders to Abed-Melech the Cushite, Take thirty men from here under your command and lift Jeremiah the prophet up out of the cistern before he dies. Now it would not require thirty men to raise Jeremiah up from the cistern. Zedekiah anticipated that the prophet's enemies might try to stop Ebed-Melech, even though he was acting on the king's orders. So Ebed-Melech took command of the men and entered a room under the treasury in the palace. He took some old rags and worn-out clothing from there, and he lowered them with ropes to Jeremiah in the cistern. Ebed-Melech the Cushite said to Jeremiah, Put these rags and worn-out clothes under your arms to pad the ropes. After Jeremiah did that, They lifted him up with the ropes and pulled him out of the cistern. After this, Jeremiah remained in the courtyard of the guard. This Abed-Melech showed himself to be a faithful believer and a faithful brother to Jeremiah and a thoughtful one, too, thinking about his comfort. He executed to keep the prophet from dying. And of course, Jeremiah, too, showed himself faithful throughout this. He did not give in. He did not despair. He did not offer to change his message. He was faithful to God, faithful to his calling. And by telling his people the truth about what would happen to them and having their best interests at heart, he was faithful to his brothers and sisters. What a contrast they both were to Zedekiah. We've already noted the king's lack of character. But what happens immediately afterward is is also revealing. Zedekiah has Jeremiah brought to him in private and asks for his counsel. After getting the king's oath that, that he would not kill him or hand him over again to those who wanted him dead, the prophet tells Zedekiah the same thing he's been saying all along. Surrender to the Babylonians and all will be well. Don't surrender And things will go badly for you, your family, and all Jerusalem. But the king is afraid of what will happen if he's handed over by Nebuchadnezzar to the Jews who had already gone over to the Babylonians, and he doesn't act on Jeremiah's advice. Instead, he he tells the prophet to keep quiet about the fact that they spoke and and what was spoken about. And that was the last time they talked. Zedekiah continues to hold out, 
And eventually, well, everything that Jeremiah foretold comes true. What was the king's problem besides lack of faith? It was that he wants assurance of a happy ending. One better than merely surviving the siege through surrender. He wouldn't get what he wanted. Jeremiah knew better how it all works. He knew that while the Lord could be counted on to deliver him, that that didn't mean that every deliverance would leave him happy. Better off, yes, but not necessarily with a life of, of sunshine and flowers. In fact, Jeremiah's deliverance here is one of the really bad being replaced by the not so bad, but still not quite good. He remained in prison until Jerusalem fell. And even though his fellow survivors realized he'd been right in his message all along, he still didn't listen to him. He told the remnant in Jerusalem not to flee to Egypt when things got dicey with the Babylonians, but they went anyway, and they dragged Jeremiah along with them. And he died there in Egypt instead of in the homeland he had loved so much and worked so hard for. But the prophet was willing to endure all of this because he knew where it all was leading. Execution was not a problem for him. He knew it was leading. All of the history of Israel was leading to Christ. And he knew that Christ would lead everyone who followed him to heaven, to the glory ahead that Peter referred to in our lesson. And this is why we follow Jesus. This is why we follow through and and execute, why we accept our cross. You, You can't follow Jesus without following the path he set out for us. Not not that suffering, not that what we endure because we follow Christ is some kind of requirement for salvation, something we have to do to get to heaven. It's rather that we expect suffering. Bearing our crosses is an exercise of faith. And and if we deliberately turn away from it, what we're doing is turning away from Christ. We are telling God, I want salvation, but only on my terms. That is a rejection of grace instead of repentance. And it's an assertion of pride instead of humble dependence. And so, so we execute We are the disciples of Christ. We deny ourselves and we take up our crosses, whatever they might be, and we follow Jesus. We stand firm when enemies of the Gospels tell us to move, to stop, to be quiet. We speak up to people who might not want to hear what we have to say. We call evil, evil. We turn ourselves away from sins that entice us. We consider God's will when we make our decisions, even if they are uncomfortable or unpleasant. We have the examples that that we need here. Of course, Judah's enemies followed through in the wrong way. Jeremiah's enemies didn't hesitate to follow through in their plans the right kind of follow-through. Well, we see it here. First, in the Lord. 
All of his promises, both to bless and to curse, are fulfilled just as he says. We also admire and and, and imitate what we see in in Ebed-Melech, who knew the right thing to be done and risked his own safety, position, and livelihood to do it. We also see something to imitate in Jeremiah himself, who, who, who never would have been in that cistern if he had not followed through on the mission God had called him to and with the message he had been given to share, no matter the cost to him. The self-denial of bearing our crosses, as Jesus teaches in the gospel, involves more than just sincere intentions and good starts. It clearly includes follow-through like Christ's, which took him from heaven to the manger and from Nazareth to Calvary, and like Jeremiah's and Ebed Malik's. But we can follow his path. We can trust the God who gave his son to save us, to to see us through whatever, and, and, and to help us bear whatever cross. Jesus promised If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. We know that the Lord our God will help us. We will not be disgraced. We will not be put to shame. Amen. Please rise. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.